you know, we got a new guy now. I guess we didn't tell him he's got to grab the, uh, grab the stool and the table. So uh, we need to write that into his job description. So I guess we'll give him a break. He was holding the guitar. So, um, but anyway, well, um, and today we kick off part two of our series in John. So we had the, the prequel uh, during, uh, during Advent. And then we thought, well, if we're going to go through a series on John, now's the time to do it because we just did four weeks on chapter one. Uh, and so we started in January. And so uh, of going through the gospel of John. And so today we kick off part two and we have these journals. And if you don't have one and you want something to take notes in to write with, we have them on the table here and on the back. You get up right now. You're not going to bother me. I can't see past the fourth row anyway. Okay. And if you uh, get up and grab one, they're, they're, they're free. They're yours. Uh, but they have scripture on one side and then they have uh, uh, a section to take notes on the other side. And so you know, we want to encourage you to take some notes and um, and just kind of record what God speaks to your heart, uh, not only on Sundays, but, uh, but every day. And so, uh, so those are there. They're, they're right there on the table, and then they're on the back uh, booth back there. Also, I want to encourage you to just be reading the Gospel of John. And uh, that um, there's just something powerful when, when we read God's Word. And uh, we're going to be in John chapter 7 for the next two Sundays, so this week and then two more Sundays. And I uh, want to just encourage you to read it. Um, just twice between now and the, over the next couple of weeks. Read, read, it, read, read the chapter once a week. And, you, and if you've got to drive to work, you can just put it on audio and uh, listen to it. But, um, but there's just something happens when we get the Word of God on our minds and in our hearts. And so, um, and today, um, and we're going to continue to look at this, the life of Jesus and this life that he calls us to as his followers, as his disciples, as his students. That's what the word disciple means, student. It's the Greek word methetes. And it has this word picture that goes along with it. Um, that it's to fo- the student to follow the teacher so closely that they're literally covered by the dust of their sandals. And so that's the life that we're called to is to follow Jesus. And what Jesus says in today's passage uh, is basically this. That, that Jesus says that, um, that, um, that, that, there, that there is an inevitable head-on collision between himself and the world. And therefore, there is an inevitable head-on collision between us and the world what we're going to see over the next few chapters of Jesus's teaching is he's telling his disciples there's there's an inevitable head-on collision between me and the world and because you follow me there's an inevitable head-on collision between you and the world and we need to understand that so that we're not surprised and caught off guard and shocked when it happens to us as followers of Jesus and we need to understand this so that we can uh, it gives us a tool to measure the, you know, how we're living our lives and how we're living out our faith. Because Matthew chapter 5 says that blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Not because of anything that, that, that the individual has done, but just because they're trying to pursue Jesus in the life that he calls us to. In other words, when we live out the Christian life, when we live out our faith, we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be misunderstood. We're, we're, we're going to be rejected. We're going to be betrayed. We're going to be mocked. We're going to be crucified. Not, not physically, 
but our reputation for sure. Uh, potentially it is going to cost us some relationships. Potentially it might cost us in our career and it might cost us some friendships. And today it's going to be a little bit unpleasant as, as we unpack what Jesus is saying uh, to us. Um, but it's also going to be so freeing at the same time when we embrace this truth. So uh, today's passage shows us this. Let me just give it to you up front, three things, and then we will uh, unpack them as we go along. But what, uh, what does Jesus teach us? about the world's thinking? Uh, What does Jesus teach us about the world's hatred? And what does Jesus teach us about the world's hope? So what what does Jesus teach us about how the world thinks, um, about the hatred that the world has towards him and consequently towards us? And what does Jesus teach us about the world's hope? So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 7. Or page 24 in the journal, okay? Uh, Or you can uh, pull it up on your phone or we'll put it up on the screen for you. So John chapter 7 this morning. And what does Jesus teach us about the world's way of of thinking? So um, let's just jump in on in verse 1 of chapter 7. So... After this, Jesus went around Galilee. Now, Galilee was a rural area uh, of Israel, lots of small towns there in Galilee. Uh, And he did not want to go to Judea or Jerusalem, the big city, because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles, and we'll talk more about this in the the next couple of weeks, but uh, it was a... um, it was a festival, it was a celebration that happened around the harvest time that would help the people of Israel remember how God took care of them when, uh, they, had, when, they escaped, uh, Israel, uh, when they escaped Egypt and God provided for them in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, so when the fe- festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. And since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. So, so Jesus' brothers, they, 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 come, they come to Jesus and they say, Hey, you know, you want to be a person of influence, but you don't know how the game is played. All right? You want to be a person of influence. So, so you need to learn how to play the game. And in other words, his brothers are going to him and saying, listen, Jesus, if you want to be a person of influence, okay, you've you got to quit wasting your time on all these backwoods, one stoplight, you know, one Dairy Queen towns, okay? You need to get out of, you know, Peaster and Poolville and Brock and Miserable Wells. And, and I can say those things because I grew up in the big city of Weatherford, okay? Um, but uh, his brother's like, you got to get out of these small towns and you got to go to where, where you can be established and seen as a, a, as a big shot, they say, Jesus, if you want to be a person of influence, if you want to be a person of power, you need to go to the right city at the right time, meet the right people, get the right connections, and develop the right image. Jesus, we got to get you that blue check mark on your Instagram. All right? Jesus, we need to get you a clever Twitter handle because Jesus of Nazareth isn't going to cut it. Okay, that's not going to drive people, you know, to your page. That's not going to drive people to to your platform. You don't know quite how it's done. And Jesus responds to them. He says, therefore, Jesus told them, 
My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. But the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that it work, its works are evil. And you go to the festival. I'm not going to the festival because my time has not fully come. In other words, Jesus is like, sorry, guys, I, I don't play those games. His disciple says, hey, you know, you, you, you've got to show yourself to the world. And Jesus is like, but the world hates me. So, so Jesus is talking about the world and this, wor- this word world in the Greek, it's, uh, it's cosmos. And it has a couple of different applications. Uh, cosmos can, can mean the, the material human universe. You know, the things that we can see, the physical things that we can see, the things that God created and said that, you know, this is good. Um, but also cosmos can also mean a, a way of thinking. And, and, and cosmos or, or the world is a system of thinking in which the material and human world is an end in and of itself. In other words, worldliness is a mindset that says that the here and now is all that matters and all that there is. That it's making the pursuit of things in this world the ultimate quest. Now, now as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as disciples, as students of the teaching of his way, we must think about life from the perspective of eternity. In other words, when we think about life in perspective of eternity, when we put our lives on the canvas uh, of eternity, our lives last about that long. And it's this mindset that should shape our, our, the way we view and live in society, and it should shape the things that we value. You see, worldliness says that the here and now is all that matters. You know, there's no sense in thinking about what's to come because we don't even know what's to come. It's, all, it's about the here and now. Worldliness, uh, worldly people exaggerate the importance of now. See, the world, worldliness is about, well, I have my hopes and I have my wants and I have my desires and I, <clears throat> and I want them now. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus... We need to approach things, approach life from the perspective of eternity. Meaning that we're here about that long in perspective of eternity. And that should change what we value. And it should change how we live. In other words, as, as, we, as we listen in, as we eavesdrop on the teachings of Jesus throughout the Gospel of John, what we're going to hear over and over is Jesus said that there should be a difference between a Christian and a worldly person when it comes to our thinking and behaving. That there should be, there should be a line that's drawn. There should be a difference. That, and let me just give you a couple of really practical examples, okay? Um, that, that Christians should have a different attitude towards material things, Okay? Now, this doesn't mean uh, as Christ followers that we shouldn't have or want nice things. That's not what this is about, okay? But it's that our approach or our, our how we value, how we see. In other words, that material possessions shouldn't be the end-all, be-all for us. 
that there's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with wanting nice things. It's just they shouldn't define success for us, okay? That our identity shouldn't be placed in what we have or how new it is or how shiny it is, that it's not the ultimate quest. Yeah, yeah, it's a pursuit, but it's not the ultimate pursuit in our lives, okay? That's, that's what, what I'm trying to say. In other words, let me illustrate it for you this way. Um, you know, a, um, let's just take $100 here. Okay, the world says, oh, wow, $100, let's spend it, okay? Uh, the, the world says, oh, wow, $100, let's spend 125% of this right now, okay? And, and unfortunately, that's how many of the world, much of the world lives. But a Christian sees material things differently. We see things through the eyes of eternity, and, and, and so we are called as Christians to, to, to view material possessions and material things differently, which should shape the way we give. That, that we're called to give generously and cheerfully and sacrificially, okay? Now, the Old Testament talks about a tithe, the 10%. Jesus comes and says, just give it all away. But what he was literally saying was, if there's anything that's more important than your pursuit of me, get rid of it. And then Paul writes that we should be, we should give cheerfully and we should be glad to give. Uh, we should give generously, meaning a reflection of all that God has given to us. And that we should give sacrificially, meaning that it, it costs us something. And, and, and so, you know, to apply some Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey is a, uh, you know, a financial uh, coach. And he would say, you know, using the Old Testament, uh, he would say, you know, we give 10% and we save 20% and then we live off 70%. Now that takes discipline. That takes sacrifice. That takes a plan. That makes, that means, you know, let's give, uh, let's assign every dollar a category and let's adjust the budget. And, you know, a budget's a plan. It's not the end all be all, but we're making adjustments as we go along. Now, now, you know, that, that's, that's a hundred dollars and, you know, you know, $10 out of a hundred dollars to give that, 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 that's not much, you know, we can do that. But when we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, well, then it can get a little hard. So where do we learn that principle? Well, we learn that principle. We should be teaching our kids that when we give them their allowance that they work for, that it's, you know, hey, Asher, my seven-year-old, uh, hey, we're, you know, out of the $10, um, of your allowance, which he doesn't make $10 a week. Um, but, uh, you know, hey, you're going to give a dollar. You're going to save $2. And you've got $7 to take care of all your wants, hopes, and desires. And I pray to God that a seven-year-old's desires is not more than seven bucks. Okay? Uh, or he's going to be greatly disappointed. Now, please don't get hung up on the percentage. Because it, I, the... the, the the challenge here is to see things differently. That this is not the end-all, be-all as followers of Jesus. And, and if we're, you know, just be a percentage giver. And, and whatever percentage that is, if, if you're not, you know, used to being a percentage giver, shoot for 2 or 3%. Shoot to save, you know, 5 or 6% and do that for 3 or 6 months. Check in with the budget and see if you can increase it by a percentage. But do it cheerfully, do it generously, and do it sacrificially. That it should cost us a Starbucks. It should cost us going out to lunch a couple of times. It should cost us something to be able to give to the work in the kingdom of God. But it's that gift, it's that percentage, it's that investment in people that will last eternity. 
And so we see material things differently. Second practical piece of this is that Christians should have a different attitude towards uncertainty. Now, worldliness says, you know, if this happens, it will be the end of me. If this happens, it will be the end of my world. And that attitude leads to fear and stress and worry and anxiety. And some of us are so worried about that something will happen or maybe something has happened and it's been devastating. I mean, I remember when I, when I lost my job as a pastor, when I was fired, that my whole world came crashing down because that's who I was. That was my title. That was my identity. And when I didn't play that role for people anymore, I was lost. I had the wrong view of uncertainty. Because as followers, as Christians, when we walk into a time of uncertainty, we walk in with the attitude and the, and the heart and the mind that says, God is in control. This did not surprise God. God loves me. And God will never leave me nor forsake me. And God wants to use this somehow, some way for my good. We'll say, well, how's he going to do that? How's he possibly going to use this for my good? I don't know. But remember, the universe, the canvas of the universe is, we can't even see it, the canvas of eternity. But we're like that long, that long here. And so God can see and you know forever past and forever future and maybe God is painting on a canvas as big as the universe and he's going to take this uncertainty or this difficult time or this trial or whatever this and he's going to recalibrate your heart and as he recalibrates your heart what he's really doing is recalibrating your children's heart and their children and their children and their children and their children and, their children and so on. And so when we face times of uncertainty, as followers of Jesus, here we have a confidence and we have a hope and we have a peace. That doesn't make, mean it's going to be any less painful, but it means we have something to help us navigate through that. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, all I know, if a dead man came back to life, I'm going to listen to him. Because he seems to have something that nobody else in history had. So, so that's what Jesus teaches us about the world's thinking. Let's, let's move on quickly. What does Jesus teach us about the world's hatred? Well, if we start living a Jesus-centered, eternity-centered life, the world is going to hate us. Um, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. Now, now here, here's, another, here, here's another reason why Christianity is true. If you're trying to start a mo- movement, you're not leading with, hey, you follow me, life's going to be difficult. I mean, what infomercial have we seen that says, if you buy our product, it's going to be difficult for you. You buy our product, it's going to make life a little bit more uncomfortable. Nobody's going to advertise that. And so here, Jesus is saying all throughout Scripture, you follow me, people are going to hate you, but come on. Another reason why Christianity is true. Now, now so, so Timothy tells us that if we want to live a godly life, that, that we're going to be persecuted. Now, this won't happen every day, okay? Let me just get that on the table. This is not going to happen every day. Now, if it is happening every day to you, 
Okay, I mean, you go to work or you go to school and it's just persecution after persecution after persecution because of your faith. Let me just say this as loving as I can. You're doing it wrong. Okay, there shouldn't be persecution every single day in your life. Okay, if I'm being persecuted every single day of my life, it means I'm probably walking around thinking I'm the God squad and I'm being judgmental. Okay, it shouldn't be every day. But if we're never being persecuted for our faith, we need to look at that too. Because it means we're probably living like cowards. And so there needs to be a balance. Yes, there's going to be some days that we're persecuted. There's going to be other days that we're not. Matthew 5, go back to Matthew 5. Matthew says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So now we're setting our minds on eternity. We're setting our minds that we are citizens, not of this earth but we're citizens of heaven in eternity and blessed are you when people insult you you ever been insulted because of your faith in Jesus hashtag blessed that's what Matthew just said you ever been insulted somebody ever said something bad about you because you're a church person because you're a follower of Christ hashtag blessed said, blessed are you when people insult you or persecute you or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Somebody ever spread gossip about you because you're a Christian? Hashtag blessed. I mean, maybe that's what we need to put on our social media. What's on your mind? Tell you what's on my mind. My coworkers didn't invite me to lunch again because of my faith in Jesus. Hashtag blessed. Lost out on another deal because I did full disclosure about that property. Hashtag blessed. We will be persecuted. But it says rejoice and be glad. Well, why can we rejoice and be glad when we're being persecuted for the name of Jesus? Well, because great is your reward in heaven. Remember, our focus isn't on the here and now. This world isn't the ultimate quest for us. And this world is that long in comparison to eternity. And we're citizens of heaven. We've got our minds and our hearts fixed on heaven in eternity. And we are following Jesus as close as we can. And we're getting covered by the dust of his sandals. And we can be glad because we have a reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets, all the great ones who were before you. In other words, we've got something in common with all the great prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, just to name a few. Anybody who has ever suffered a loss as a result of the name of Jesus, you have a tremendous reward in heaven. Now, before we move on to the last point, I just want to say this to some very specific people in the room. If you are the only one in your family that is a Christian, if you are the only person in your family that follows Christ, and your family doesn't get you. They don't understand why you give up your Sunday mornings and don't go to brunch. Your family doesn't understand why you give away so much money. Your family, it's like, it's like you have that one uncle that can't wait till the next family gathering because he's read some article that he's just going to stump you with. And we got teenagers that come on their own. And their parents think they are crazy. 
If you're the only Christian in your family, I want to say this to you. You have a tremendous reward for you in heaven. And my prayer for you is that your family would come to know Jesus through you. And I know it's not easy. But I pray that we, this church, would be your brothers and your sisters. We would be your family. And we would encourage you. And we would pray for you. You have a reward great in heaven. And if that's your walk, man, we would love to pray with you. And you can let us know, hey, pray for me. Pray for my family. You give us your family's names. We're going to pray. We're not, we're not going to stop praying for them until you say, okay, they're believers now. Or, or, or stop praying or whatever. But we're going to pray and pray and pray for their salvation. So just want to say that before we go into our last piece. And the last one is, what does Jesus teach us about the world's hope? Well, the most amazing thing about this passage is in verse 8 when he says, my time has not fully come. And what he's saying, Jesus is telling his brothers, who, by the way, they don't believe who he is, who he is. He says to them, I have an appointment with death. And I plan on keeping it. But it's not time yet. And you know how how Jesus dealt with, with his enemies? You know how Jesus dealt with his haters? Jesus says, I'm going to take care of my enemies and I'm going to take care of my haters. I'm going to die for them so that they can become my friends. That's the world's hope right there. That Jesus was willing to give up his life for us. That he came and lived the life we can't live and he died the death that we deserve. And he came and he did it. And that's our hope. That's the world's hope. That's our friend's hope. That's our family's hope. That's our coworker's hope. And that's the hope and the comfort and the peace and the truth and the message that we as the church, as followers of Christ, take with us when we walk out of here.